Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's groundbreaking book, In This Together, landed on bookstore shelves with a powerful message. When we work together, we can do absolutely anything. Guidance from 40 women leaders with specific strategies to help women advance their careers makes In This Together even more relevant today, especially with the pandemic's impact on women in the workforce. Take your career to the next level with Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's In This Together, now available on audiobook. Download your copy today. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go with a group. Folks, this podcast is brought to you by the Real Leaders Impact Collaborative, our once-a-month virtual impact CEO peer groups who meet to support each other with whatever is keeping them up at night. I joined the group back in September, and if I had to say the one major takeaway that I've received is that to not let things outside business affect your on-court performance. This little change has certainly reflected in our business growth and development. And when our members do well, more lives are transformed. That's what impact is all about. So if you're interested, please email us at info at real-leaders.com. Just say the podcast sent you and you want to speak to someone about the impact collaborative. Again, that's info at real hyphen leaders.com. Enjoy the show. Come through this show in about five, four, three, two, and one. Welcome everyone to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining us today is the CEO of the Institute for Shipboard Education and Semester at Sea. Please welcome Scott Marshall. Scott, thanks for being with us today. Kevin Edwards, sir, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you today. It's a pleasure to be with you. Now, I was just telling the, the good folks on Crowdcast here, we both got maps in the background here. Um, semester at Sea, tell me what you've learned in the past uh, couple years uh, working for a company that is the largest was it the largest vessel, the largest traveling campus in the world? Well, certainly we have what what I think qualifies as the largest floating campus in the world. Uh, Semester C has a long history, uh, going back almost 60 years, since 1963. And uh, today we still charter a ship and uh, conduct voyages. Obviously, the last few years have, have not enabled us to do that. But we are all set to go again in January and super excited. So Scott, when, when you took over as CEO, what was the state of Semester at Sea? And, and tell us about your first couple months at the helm. So if I could go back just a little bit before that. So I actually came from the academic world. I was a professor of business and took a position as vice president of academic affairs in fall of 2017. Then um, in January of 2020, I became the president and CEO of the Institute that runs Semester C. And everybody knows uh, in January 2020, uh, there loomed about three months ahead, something that no one had expected. Uh, mm. So certainly the PowerPoint that I presented to the board on January 2nd, 2020, oh, gosh. became irrelevant very quickly. And there was uh, a lot of work going in. Uh, the board has been amazing. Our staff have been amazing. Our alumni have been amazing. 
there are a lot of reasons we've got, gotten through this pandemic um, and we can go into those in detail, but uh, it's been obviously a very challenging time, but it's been a challenging time for everybody around the world. Uh, we, we are not unique in that regard. So Scott, when something like that happens, what do you, what do you fall back on? Do you fall back on the mission? Where do you look? What was the, your, your, what was the instinct to go to when a big event or possibility or threat like that happens? Yeah, mission is absolutely where you go. I also talk about it in terms of purpose. What is our purpose? Which then gets more formally defined in terms of a mission. But what is my purpose, my individual purpose? Why do I do the work I do? Why do I try to live the life I do? And then how do I show up at this organization with that purpose? And how does this organization live that purpose so that we can, again, have a voyage? And that has been our guiding force all along through this pandemic. And it has been our beacon to get the spring 22 voyage underway here shortly. So absolutely, it is purpose. And, and you, know, you hear about schools, just you know, your traditional four-year university program, the changes that they've had to make. Did you already have a voyage that was already out when kind of the yeah. news broke, broke out about this? Because you do two a year, is that right? That's right. Our spring 20 voyage was underway. There is quite a lengthy story that we could go into just uh, in terms of how that voyage unfolded. Uh, I'll just give you a few snippets. Um, first of all, I'll give you the outcome. The outcome is we had to end it early. We had to get all voyagers back and complete their courses online. Everybody on that ship got back home. Mm without any cases of COVID. Now, wow. if you remember the media spotlight on cruise vessels at that time, and the unfortunate circumstances that they were caught in, there is a pretty cool story to tell that we got all voyagers back, all crew members back home without any cases. Now, those voyagers, uh, almost to a person, recall their experience very positively now, but during the voyage, it's extremely stressful because we could not hit every port. There was a lot of unknowns. They spent more time on that ship than anybody normally will. Um, but that ship is a tight-knit community. They're very supportive. They care about each other. And ultimately, they have formed friendships that will live the rest of their life as a consequence. Um, so there's a lot in terms of what unfolded over that period of time and how we ended up getting everybody back safely. But um, I just think it's, it's uh, a great story that, that was unfortunate, uh, frustrating, anxiety-inducing, and enriching, empowering, and in the end, um, overall, a good outcome for, for everybody involved. And so if the outcome is... is you know, no one was affected by COVID. What was the mission? Um, I guess, was it to protect and, and serve, you know, the members on the boat? What did you go to? And, and obviously you have a strong uh, intention to, okay, we're, you know, regardless of what happens, we want to make sure no one uh, comes back with that disease and affects others, that students' lives are, are protected. What, what is the specific purpose of uh, semester essay? So I would just, Put it in terms of priorities, our number one priority has been, will always be health and safety. Absolutely. 
and we will do everything possible to ensure the health and safety of our voyagers. And that is not only the students, that's the lifelong learners, the faculty and staff, and the crew and officers. Mm -hmm. Everything we can do possibly to ensure their health and safety. And that always has to be number one. Uh, so whatever decision we make, that's in the forefront of our minds. Fortunately, I would say that the cruise industry itself is highly regulated. So even though the cruise industry got in the spotlight, I would say that it, this, the sanitation conditions on a ship are already quite high, right? Number two, I would say that while it's unfortunate, one of the nice things about being on a ship is you have flexibility. You can change your route. You can change how you go. And again, that induced very reasonably a lot of uncertainty and anxiety amongst the voyagers, but it also gave us the ability to be flexible in how we would get people home. Mm. Um, so there, there's a lot of elements here, but health and safety, obviously, number one, every day. Scott, where was the ship at the time? So we departed the spring 20 voyage in San Diego, and we ended the voyage in Cape Town, South Africa. Now, it, the intention was to visit 10 countries, and we visited four. Uh, we got a one-day stop in Hawaii. We did our full visit in Japan. It was when we were in Japan that we got enough news out of China that we decided not to visit uh, Shanghai. So we continued on to Vietnam, which was a planned visit, but we extended that stay. Uh, about this time, <clears throat> there's a ship uh, alongside in Japan, you probably recall this, that was having a serious outbreak. Uh, after Vietnam, our next planned visit was to be Malaysia. After a lot of discussion with all of our various external partners and experts, we decided we're just gonna go to Malaysia to bunker, that is to get fuel and then move on. We weren't gonna do our full stop there. Our next visit was to be at India, but that was not gonna work. So we diverted and we were headed towards the Seychelles. This was not a planned port of call on our itinerary. A day before we landed there, we were told we were not gonna be able to port. So we took a left turn and headed south towards Mauritius. That was a planned stop for a single day. Again, there's a lot of detail in all of this that I'm not, not articulating. Uh, long story short there, we spent five days in Mauritius. It was a glorious visit for everybody. Uh, at that time, we still planned to do Cape Town, Accra, Ghana, Casablanca, Morocco, and then probably in, in the Canary Islands, not finish in Europe where we had originally thought we would. But as we approached Cape Town, uh, the WHO declared a global pandemic and the President Trump declared um, all tourism called off, closed the borders, and we knew we had to call it in Cape Town. We had mm. to get everybody home. One of the key things that happened at that time that we didn't have before was the Department of Education had responded to requests by higher ed to lower the, and this is very technical, but it's really key to what we did, lower the threshold for contact hours in order for students to get credit for their courses mm. and not get penalized in terms of their financial aid. 
Now, how does this relate to us, right? Well, we had no ability to convey people into the online system. We're a ship-based campus that right. takes people. But what this allowed us to do was slowly but surely push people into an online environment with mm -hmm. this contact hour threshold reduced. We hadn't had that ability until those days just before Cape Town. So we got that ability to do it. Obviously, global pandemic, uh, the decision with the Trump administration. So we called it in Cape Town, got everybody home. They completed their courses online. We did refund for room and board, uh, pro rata, the remaining of the voyage, which financially obviously was uh, difficult for our institute, but was certainly the right thing to do when you put your customer at the center of your decisions. Um, and again, everybody got home safely and completed their courses uh, in such a difficult time when no one knew we would still be talking about the pandemic on this day. Uh, you know, the outcome was was really quite good, um, not financially for us, but overall for our voyagers, for our crew uh, and so forth. It, it was a good outcome. Well, it, you know, it's a remarkable feat. And to think that this was thrown at you, you know, in one of the first months of getting the, the job, you know, right after you gave that keynote presentation. If you were to do another keynote though, if you had to kind of reflect on the, some things that you've noticed, a couple of things I picked up on were, man, the stakeholders are really important. It's not just the students, it's the, it's the, the captain, it's the ship crew, it's, uh, you know, everyone that's involved on that boat and off that boat. It's the logistics, logistics that go, kind of go into that. But if you were to do another PowerPoint from lessons that you've learned, um, over the past, you know, let's say six months from when that had happened to when they got back home safely, what would you present on? You know, I've reflected on this a lot, Kevin, and there's a couple key ideas that I would share. Number one, um, I would talk about persistence over pivot. Um, there was a lot of conversation around pivoting during the pandemic. And if your purpose is clear, and if you have, you know, for a variety of reasons, a, a, a real need to persist with that purpose, then persist. Uh, don't be tempted by major pivots. Uh, find a way through, wake up every day, and take a next step to get through. Mm. So that's number one. Number two, I would say, do never choose organization over people or people over organizations. Those are false choices. It's a false dichotomy. That you always choose both every time. And yes, we had to make difficult decisions in terms of some layoffs and some furloughs and salary reductions. Those were important decisions. They were difficult decisions. I did it with great compassion for everybody. And I did it for compassion for the organization as well. There was never a point in time where I felt like I was putting one above the other. I had to put both in my heart and in my mind at all times. Mm. So I hope that Anybody else who's leading any kind of organization finds himself embracing both again all the time. So the first one is persistence with purpose. 
And the second is always, every day, show up for the people and the organization all the time. Mm. Uh, and the last thing I would share with you is everybody and leaders in particular need to listen and have voice. I truly do believe humility and confidence go together. It is not one or the other. And I do understand why some consultants and some authors want to stress listening. Like you got to be a great listener and you do have to be a great listener. You also have to have voice. During this last two years, I've had to have a clear voice for our staff, for our board, for our alumni. And those are actually very complementary. You are a better listener if you have clear voice. You have better clear better voice if you're a good listener. And so this is another false dichotomy in my mind. And these are two skill sets that I've tried to truly embrace and have them be self-reinforcing. So those are three thoughts to share with you. No, I, I love it. And and just to go on that, how how do you like to show up? What does showing up mean? Kevin, I had one of the best compliments recently, and it's not going to sound like one. And in fact, the person who said it was kind of like, I, I, you know, I meant it in a good way. And I thought, actually, that is exactly what I would want to hear. And this individual said, you know, I've been talking to some of our alumni and they just, they just think you're a regular guy. Mm. Nice. And the person was like, well, you know, like you're authentic, like in, and I thought, yeah, I'm just a human that breathes oxygen and eats food. And I am just a regular guy, right? And so mm. are you. And so is everybody else on this podcast. And so is everybody that we're surrounded with. Mm. We all have challenges in our personal life and our professional life. We all have things we're really good at and things we're not so good at. Mm. Uh, and we just have to embrace that. Uh, and so I've showed up every day as myself. I don't know how else to show up. Um, and I can't explain to you why that's just natural, but I hope everybody can find a way to just show up as who they are. Mm -hmm. I'm not, uh, amazingly charismatic, you know, uh, I am not, um, someone who loves intense social events. Uh, you know, I know myself, um, but I also know that I think deeply about strategy. I am not an accountant, but I can speak to accountants. Uh, I'm not a financial wizard, but I understand P&L. Um, I am not uh, gonna be a world famous orator but I can articulate my thoughts. Like, you know, know, know mm. what you're good at and be comfortable with it. Know what you're not good at, be comfortable with that. Find people who are better at some things than, I, than I'm better at and that build a great team around that. Um, that's how I've showed up. I've showed up as myself, Kevin, and I, I, I wouldn't have done it any other way. You know, there's, there's, there's truth in that, right? You know, I think people respect people who are authentic you know, grounded, who can be themselves, speak with conviction. Um, and, and, you know, I think people want to follow others like that. So that is a tremendous compliment, you know, that someone would give you. Um, but I, you know, I also, sometimes I think ego gets in the way, right? I think 
leaders are, are constantly trying to increase their confidence. And one way to do that is to continue to build upon their successes and tell others about it. When in reality, most of the leaders that we've interviewed on the show are, are more like servant leaders. You know, like they, they want to give the success to everyone else on the team. But Scott, you mentioned in there, um, you're a deep thinker when it comes to strategy. I'd like to talk about that a little bit. I mean, you, you're, you're running and organizing and you know, uh, managing a very large vessel. And if I want to give the analogy of persistence and, and like you said, not really pivoting, but persistence. A um, couple analogies here, Scott. First one is this. We think about our North Star, right? And I love to give this example. I'm happy you're a semester SD because you got a North Star location and you're a ship. And you take one little turn, you know, over time, you're going to be over here. Whereas kind of what you're doing is kind of weaving and persisting and seeing an obstacle and, and, you know, pursuing each obstacle that kind of gets in your way. However, a lot easier to kind of make those changes in strategy when you're, you know, a little motorboat or, you know, a ski-doo or something like that. But you've got a very large ship. It takes a long time to kind of turn with more and more heads and more and more people, right, and, and bringing a lot of people on. What's worked for you in terms of executing your strategy? So I would say over the last, well, since March really of 2020, it has not been as much long-term strategic thinking as I would, would have wanted. Mm -hmm. It's been scenario planning, a lot of scenario planning. And that has been a tremendous skill set that we've built. Mm. And it is invaluable for an organization to be able to run multiple scenarios. That includes what does a voyage look like in the future? What are the financial impacts? How do we execute accordingly? But on a much shorter term basis, because as we thought we could run a fall 20 voyage, we had to just run that scenario. As we thought, we, then we had to cancel that voyage and thought we could run a spring 21 voyage. And that was scenario planning. Right. So scenario planning is a key, key skill set that we have. And then thinking longer term strategically is just something we've been able to really spend time on over the last four months. We really realized that this spring 22 voyage is something we're going to be able to execute. So let's take some time and lift everybody's head up to look out far beyond spring 22 for that North Star. Let's find that North Star again, right? And it's been exhilarating for me. Uh, I think it's been joyful for our, for our staff who are head down doing everything possible to get this voyage underway because we have discovered, we discovered that North Star, we redefined it and we've placed under that North Star four audacious strategic goals. Mm that are long-term and actually one of those strategic initiatives goes to the title of this particular podcast. But before we get there, I just wanna tell you that North Star that we created, a new mission statement yeah. is pithy and inspirational. It's uh, memorable, it's 10 words, journeys of discovery that spark bold solutions to global challenges. Journeys of Ooh. discovery that spark bold solutions 
to global challenges. There's power in all parts of that phrase, mm -hmm. of that mission statement. Mm -hmm. Journeys of discovery is about a voyage and what that voyage discovers, it is also about the personal experience that each voyager has. Mm. What does each voyager experience and learn? Spark, okay, doesn't mean our voyage is gonna actually solve global challenges, but while those students are on the ship, they're gonna see things, they're gonna work with others, they're gonna form a community, they're gonna see multiple different environments. It can spark ways of thinking that just are not achievable in nearly any other context. Mm. Bold solutions, bold solutions, right? So how do we have them become systems thinkers? How do they see underlying cause and effect? And how do they come up with new approaches that are bold in their design? And of course, solutions to global challenges. We intentionally didn't narrow it down to malnutrition or disease or climate change. We want the students to bring themselves to the global challenges that speak to them the most. Mm -hmm. So there's real power in, in, in that new mission statement. And then there's four strategic initiatives. Again, they're audacious in, in everybody's mind, but everybody, including all staff here and the entire board are behind this. Uh, I will qualify that by saying we're going to put it before the board at the end of January for final approval. So for any board members listening, I, I you, it is under your authority to approve. Um, but if I, I'll go through the four of them, then if we want to explore the net zero one in more depth, we can. So financial access for voyagers, this is number one. Uh, the ship that we charter is a wonderful ship. Uh, the owner we have a great partnership with, it is an expensive fixed cost for us. That means that our program is not inexpensive. And right now we're able to meet in the range of 30% of the financial need that's requested. How do we get to a point where we can meet all financial need mm. of students, regardless of their household income? In, in academic terms, it would be estimated family contribution. How do we meet all of that? That's a big goal. That's a lot of money, but we're gonna strive to do that. We wanna engage our alumni, foundations, anybody, who sees that our mission is mission critical and wants to support students going on this voyage. Second, cultivate intentional learning communities. This is from inquiry all the way through alumni. How do we ensure everybody is engaged in this critical global mindset education? They understand and respect the other uh, and they truly can be full global citizens. Number three, achieve net zero. Achieve net zero uh, in ship operations, field programs that we do in country and our home office activities. This is an audacious goal. It is one that's achievable. It's a long-term commitment. We know that there's, we cannot be the lead in this because others have to design the technology, the fuel and so forth, but we can be fast followers. And this is another expensive proposition. We know the resources that we need to get uh, and we're and we'll go into this in more depth after I finish the fourth one. Established semester C is a top brand in study abroad, a top brand, internationally recognized. How do we get it as a global brand? Um, right now, the strongest recruitment mechanism we have is word of mouth, and that's wonderful. We have over seventy thousand alumni who speak of it as the most transformative experience in their life. Mm -hmm. 
They have family and best friends after 50 years of doing their voyage. So this is a powerful experience, but how do we get beyond it just being word of mouth promotion to being a brand that's in people's minds as they go into their college life and it's something that they, they know they want to do. So those are the four big strategic initiatives. It's, it's incredible. It's very powerful. And, you know, for those listening out there, you know, I think this is an example of an impact company in every facet of what you do inherently, you are transforming lives, whether it's your students or the students learning about the education, the education that's going to then later on transform lives, right? But you have this, this big intention now to kind of weave in the gate here. You've got four tactics that you were, you were you were uh, expressing and, and for goals and that you were um, planning around. The question is that I like to ask a lot of people when they set these lofty goals is, how do you prioritize them? Uh, does number one come first, financial access? Uh, do we have to get the money first in order to achieve net zero? Or are you focusing on um, you know the top brand and study abroad? Are you doing more outreach, communication? Or is it, is it all kind of feeding together? How do you uh, think about prioritizing these four goals? So they're actually pretty self-reinforcing, number one. Number two, they also have distinct audiences that they'll play to. So within our organization, how we conduct our program, these are self-reinforcing. In terms of the audience that we have to speak to and engage with, it can be, there's maybe some overlap, but there's also a lot of uniqueness to them. For example, financial access, that's really around scholarship money. How do we ensure we have a really significant endowed scholarship base to ensure anybody can go? And there's a significant number of the percent of the philanthropic community who are compelled mostly toward scholarship, right? So we can speak to that audience and, and that audience isn't necessarily that as interested in something around a ship, uh, net zero goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that is some, that allows us to pursue these concurrently. However, I think to your point, what we are doing now is setting setting milestones for 2022. Mm. And the milestones are those steps that we know are achievable. I do like your analogy of, you know, a, a ship trying to travel towards the North Star, that it's not that you're going to know exactly how you're going to get to the destination, but if you can plot the first 100 miles of a thousand mile journey, if you can plot the first 100 miles, like we do know the direction we have to sail, the speed we have to sail in order to get that first 100 miles. Mm-hmm. And there's key steps along there. Right. Then you can keep moving in that direction and you can pursue all four at the same time. Now, with that said, also, what I have to do very carefully is respect the time of our staff and their energy, because conducting voyages, recruiting students, right, all of that work takes a lot of time. We're a small nonprofit with 42 employees. Mm -hmm. So while we take these milestones and put them down and push towards them, we also have to do the work that we are here to do, which is plan and conduct voyages. It, it, it makes a lot of sense. And sometimes the journey is the destination, right? It, it, is, it is a fun 
uh, opportunity to continue to strive to uh, overcome obstacles along the way. And then you end up one day and you're net zero and you're kind of doing all these things. And, you know, it's that's the destination. And you kind of realize you're, you're, you're there. You're like, oh, my gosh, I'm like, I'm here. Like, what's next? And. I, you know, I just, I just, you know, commend you because I think, you know, an impact company, it's intention, you know, and you wrap, wrapped around with the model and at the end of the day, it's transforming lives. And so I, I commend you for that. Let's talk about the big hairy one though. The big hairy yeah. audacious goal, net zero traveling. You're a vessel, right? What yeah. do you mean by net zero energy redu- uh, re- reduction of consumption waste? What do you mean by net zero specifically? So let, let's set it in context before we go specific to our program yeah, and the please. ship that we charter. Um, we know there's a serious crisis in the world. Uh, there's a number of them, uh, but climate change is certainly one that's in the media and should be in the media. COP26 just finished. Achieving 1.5 degrees Celsius is an enormous challenge. There are a lot of businesses now coming out with net zero commitments. Most of those commitments, like us, do not have a specific plan in place. So I'm declaring to you, Kevin, and the audience, we do not have a specific plan. Having a specific plan at this point actually is not possible. So you need to chart those milestones with the big hairy audacious goals sitting out there, right? Mm. So that's part of the context. We have a serious crisis that we all need to take responsibility for and find a way to help solve this issue. Number two, context. Uh, you know, shipping, global shipping is about 3%, uh, about 3% of greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, the cruise industry, which we probably would be considered part of, is 1% of shipping. So in terms of a contributor, we're, we're one ship in 1% of 3%. So we're pretty minor contributor. Right. Nonetheless, we have to do this. We have to do this. And I would say for three primary reasons. Number one, it's just essential because of the circ- the world conditions. Number two, regulation is coming. There is some regulation that's already in place and it's only going to increase. So we have to respond to that. And number three, our staff and our students and our alumni and the board and I demand that we do something about it, right? Any stakeholder who's out there that is involved in semester C, this is something we have to do. So we have to pursue it, even when our overall contribution to this problem is fairly small, it's a contribution and it needs to be resolved. So how do we get there? Well, uh, the first thing I would say about the current ship, it has four diesel engines, uh, every itinerary starts in Europe, uh, and when we get back to our regular itineraries, those fall itineraries would end in Asia, and then we'd find our way back and end in Europe in spring. So we do cover a fair amount of nautical miles on our voyages. Uh, we do track our emissions currently. That actually is based on EU requirements. Uh, that we have to measure uh, how much fuel we use. Uh, Right now, based on the IMO uh, 2020 requirements, we use a very low sulfur fuel primarily, uh, not exclusively, but primarily. So that is actually a good requirement. It's more, it 
It was going to be a lot more expensive. It's ended up that the supply came along, so it's not nearly as expensive as we thought. So the sulfur oxide redu uh, reduction is very important, and that's been put in place. There's also serious re re regulations on NOx or nitrogen oxide. And as those move forward through tier one, tier two, and tier three requirements, those emission uh, of NOx is coming down substantially. Uh, so there's already impact happening in terms of what emissions look like. Uh, in terms of the future, there's a lot of factors to consider, a lot of factors. And it is systems change. It is uh, regional regulation, country regulation, technology, fuel type deployment and the availability of those fuel types. So there's multiple facets that require systems level change. So it's difficult at this time, on this day, to bet on one single technology. Uh, the, and I am not an expert. I'm not a fuel expert. I'm not an engine technology expert. Uh, I'm not even a marine vessel expert, but we listen very closely to many of those experts to understand the trajectory of these various technologies. Right. So that's, that's the systems level that we have to pay attention to, right? Uh, the second thing after systems level change is we are in relationship on, with the current ship for seven more years. We have a contract uh, through 20, June of 2028 with the owner of the ship. So we really have to set our course for what do we do once this charter agreement's over because retrofitting this ship would be quite difficult as I have been told. So that, that would be a particular challenge. So how do we think beyond you know, this current charter arrangement? Um, the different types of fuels that are talked about. Um, LNG, so liquefied natural gas, biogas, methanol, ethanol, hydrogen. Hydrogen comes, you know, sort of from natural gas or electrolysis. Um, there are some vessels out there now, some cargo vessels using LNG. Uh, I think it's Maersk that recently purchased some hydrogen-based vessels, uh, but they'll be restricted on where they can go because you can't bunker uh, for hydrogen around the world. And you still can't bunker for LNG everywhere in the world. Mm. So we have to see how the system changes and our agreement uh, you know, for seven years and what we move to in the future. With that said, this commitment has been laid down now and we have to start having conversations with various stakeholders about how we set this course because seven years and some alternate technology is a short period of time. And uh, if you don't mind, Kevin, I, I'll just make a statement here. If there are people out there who want to help us as a demonstration project with over 600 student, college students on a ship every semester traveling the world, let us know, uh, because this is a big challenge that we are committed to achieving. Definitely. Yeah. And, and please do. And, and there's, uh, you know, there's other people I'd love to get you in contact with as well. We were just at this uh, regenerative uh, stable brands event talking about all the new fuel solutions uh, about regeneration being net positive 
as well. Oh. Uh, love to put you in contact with. But all those are signals of what you alluded to earlier as forward thinking from a potential carbon tax as well as forward thinking for how to reduce the cost of energy. Um, I was interested, you know, you mentioned before, hey, the board hasn't passed this yet. You know, there are usually four things when, when companies make big, hairy, this is a really hairy one, audacious goal uh, to achieve when it comes to uh, climate change or these carbon goals. So let's say someone doesn't really understand this and they're, they're at the board level. Um, usually the four uh, main things, and, and uh, please um, go into these if, if you find them interesting or if, you, if you're uh, following them. Decreasing risk is one, right? You talked about carbon tax, uh, maybe social movements, environmental challenges. The other one is intangible value. Um, so brandability, right? That's number four on your list, top brand and study abroad. Another perk is uh, new revenues through innovation. This is a book uh, based on uh, net positive written by Andrew Winston and Paul Pullman of Unilever. Uh, they're saying through these new uh, opportunities and challenges, innovation comes right through competition. And then the last one is that the reduced cost, and that's usually primarily um, correlated with new energy solutions. So when you present this, excuse me, to the board, Scott, how are you articulating this to someone who's going to uh, be a big vote in a decision like this? Yeah, so the first thing I would say about the board, they've already seen these. Okay, great. So they won't be surprised at all in the end of January. They've already seen these and there's uh, there were no um, pessimistic voices here. They understand this is a long-term goal. They understand that we have to be a fast follower, not a leader, that we Amazing. have to work with multiple partners, right? So there is not... A, to my knowledge, any adverse voice on, on this big challenge, uh, for sure. Amazing. Uh, they all see that this is necessary. It's gonna be a lot, lot of work, that it's multi-stakeholder effort, and that the technology, as you just explained, is still emerging and we have to find out what's available. You know, all of those factors you mentioned, risk and reputation, um, potential cost increases or decreases, uh, those are things we have to really explore as we go towards this particular North Star. You know, you talk about current battery technology using lithium and cobalt. Well, gosh, where are we gonna get all that lithium and cobalt to build these batteries if this existing technology is what is in play 10, 15 years from now? Because as you know, uh, there's only so much terrestrial lithium right. and cobalt. So are they going to start going in the ocean? And is that going to cause harm to the ocean? So it is so complex as we move through these next, this next decade, trying to figure out how we, we achieve net zero, but how, how do others achieve this as well? Yeah, and, and for people trying to comprehend this, you know, what advice do you give to them when, when they're faced with uh, you know, a, a big goal like this? Because... You know, you may not have the opportunity to do something like this if you're not bringing on new members each month or each each semester, right? So when, let's go back to prior, prior prioritization. How do you articulate this to the rest of your employees, to the rest of the crew? Yeah, so our employees, first of all, created this mission statement and these first four strategic initiatives. We had a very 
open, engaged conversation. And leading into an in-person session, we had a lot of interviews and group sessions. And then we had an in-person session, rigorous debate, conversation, collaboration. And out of that came these four strategic initiatives. So these were not placed upon our staff. They came from our staff. They were presented to the board who talked and, and debated and agreed that this is what we should be doing. Now we have, by self-selection, put staff into four groups. And those groups are meeting to help chart that milestone roadway for 2022, what can be done well knowing that net zero or full financial access are years and years ahead, but we still have to take those steps. So my job is to make sure people find headspace to be able to spend time on this. Number two is to make them believe that I am fully committed and I am, there is no question, to these big, hairy, audacious goals, uh, that I will spend my time ensuring we do this work and part of my role also is to be sure we're finding the right new external expertise to keep us as informed as possible, mm. right? right? If we talk about the net zero objective, you know, you have some resources I would love to hear, you know, and talk to people, get a better sense of this. Um, who else is working in the propulsion area, who else is working in the fuel area? Who else is working in ship design area? Uh, all these factors will go into how do we actually get to this position? Um, we have a lot of current experts that we talk to, but we need new input, new thought. We need as much understanding as we can. And that's part of my responsibility, I think, is to bring in people to help us understand this. Yeah, there's an there's a increased need for collaboration, you know, on these issues. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, if you're listening to this on audio, you know, please reach out to Scott, uh, you know, in semester Asita. If you have a solution, you have a recommendation connection. Um, but, you know, another thing that I really you know, I don't want to miss is the education that you're giving the students. This this little tweak, this change to not only just provide an education, but to also provide an intentional education that's gonna help build uh, and grow the next generation of problem solvers in this world with now a global perspective. If you talk to anyone who's uh, gone on a semester at sea excursion or voyage, they will tell you it will be one of the most impressionable uh, events in their life. I've got plenty of friends down here in San Diego that are from USD. We're on that voyage. They still connect with people from that ship at different universities all the time. Um, why? Why are you now making this shift to maybe help encourage and grow the next generation of problem solvers? Well, first of all, you're absolutely right. The, the voyage as designed and executed now is like nothing else. And that's why alumni still speak of it as an extraordinary experience. And first, you know, it can be hard to explain, but the first thing I would say about the experience is that SHIP is a closed community of many, many strangers who become best friends in three and a half months. That uh, partner, lifetime partners are found, um, 
and so forth. So it, it just has this extraordinary impact. And then the fact that you visit multiple countries, not a single country, but multiple countries, and test and retest your own mental model of the world. Your biases float away and your own view of the world profoundly changes as a consequence of going mm. on a semester sea voyage. So the model we have now is a social mission model. It is building global citizens who think differently, act differently, contribute differently. That mission does not change. We are advancing it. And by that, I mean, we're advancing it so we ensure that students also are building new problem-solving skills, ways of approaching problems that can incur on the voyage, but have not necessarily been intentionally built in through our own programming. Yeah. We want to build that in so they become better at asking questions. Mm. They become better at understanding cause-effect. They become better at connecting within systems, right? We want to do that work. And that goes to this journeys of discovery that spark bold solutions to global challenges, right? So we have this need to put that into our programming. Uh, hopefully that's answering your question, Kevin. Well, Scott, you, uh, it did answer my question. And I think there's been a very consistent theme of authenticity, being true to your, not just yourself, but the company and the mission. Um, you know, making those changes to, to guide that big ship slowly toward that North Star, um, from all of this, Scott, let's bring this home. What is your definition of a real leader? One who's comfortable in their own skin, who shows up with themselves every day. Um, that that's that's how I would a real leader just has to be themselves and and believe that who they are is capable of leading uh, and, and that's at the core. Uh, and, and the other thing I would just add to that, Kevin, is every person can be and should be a leader. Mm -hmm. Whatever role they have, they can show up as themselves, contribute to their strengths and collaborate to compensate for where they're not strong. I mean, everybody has that capacity. Beautifully put. For Scott Marshall, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, be yourself and always folks. Keep it real. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. All right. And thank you, good people, for hanging on to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast with Scott Marshall. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And Scott, we had a few questions fly in today. Um, and the first one is this. End quote. The voyage to net zero suggests environmental context, please. Could you elaborate if Semester at Sea has set some goals to offset carbon footprint to become emission neutral? Yeah, I'm glad that uh, that question was asked. So as you think about the future of alternative fuels, again, I gave some examples, LNG, biogas, hydrogen, right? LNG is not carbon neutral. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's better than very low sulfur fuel or marine grade, uh, marine gas and oil or whatever currently used. But in order to be net zero, if someone's using LNG, they will have to use offsets or um, sequestration or other methods, capture, perhaps some capture technology to actually achieve net zero and certainly go net positive. They'll need to do other uh, actions. 
And we, one of the milestones that we're setting for ourselves is how do we explore other means for reducing our impact uh, while we're still using this current ship. So uh, there's really cool um, offset mechanisms that actually have social impact. Um, they're, and, and they're more rigorous in terms of their assessment. Um, so we're in the early stages of exploring that. Again, please keep in mind that we just made this commitment. So we have a lot of work. We have to set our baseline, uh, which we have the data, but we also now are engaged with a alumni who's an expert in this area to help us set our baseline and then explore pathways. Um, so there could be multiple mechanisms for us to reduce our carbon footprint and then get to net zero through some type of new fuel, new propulsion, um, new ship design. Yeah, it's, it's a very bold goal. And, and, and one that, you know, what I would love to ask you, is, you know, there's no you know, courage without fear. Is, what are you fearful of? I mean, are, do you have any, are you up late at night? I mean, are, are you... Are you concerned about not achieving a goal? Uh, what or what did you fear before this lofty goal? Yeah, I'm not very good at fear. Good. Um, I sleep really well at night. I exercise very regularly. I have a great family. Lot, you know, with very supportive family. Um, so I I I um, I don't spend time on fear. Uh, I, and this is different, and it's important that it's different. I am concerned for the next generation, um, and therefore committed to this work. I, I, I also know, Kevin, that there's very little that I have control over. Right? You probably heard this one: the ten twenty seventy. The ten is. 10% I have control over, and that's me. 20% I can influence, and that's how I show up with others. And 70% I don't have control or influence over. And if you embrace that, if you truly embrace it, then that 10% and that 20%, so that total of 30%, you take very seriously, mm. and you do everything you can to move things in the right direction. Mm. I love now that. there's 70% that we don't know. Like, I don't know the pace of change that's going to occur with different fuel and different propulsion technologies. I don't have, I don't have control over that. And as one ship, I don't even have influence on that. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I just have to be sure that I show up and know that we can be fast followers when the right technologies come along. Love it. Love it. Scott, another question flew in. Um, and Salvatore asks, Peace Boat has long-term goals for an eco-ship. Is there a possibility of partnership? I'm sorry, what's the name of the... Salvatore. 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 Peace Salvatore. Thanks for that question. So I'm not sure if Salvatore actually saw my recent LinkedIn post where I did announce <laughs> we're doing a partnership with Peace Boat this coming summer. Ah, nice. Uh, we're actually offering, in partnership on the Peace Boat ship, uh, two two-week study abroad options, um, wow. which is very exciting, much smaller scale. Uh, and uh, we have a nice relationship with Peace Boat. Clearly, they have been doing good work around the sustainable good. Okay. development good. goals and so forth. Um, 
And the Rico ship uh, is conceptual and I, they are doing a lot of fundraising around that. Again, I'm open to exploring that. Mm-hmm. Even if we were not to use the same ship, we could learn a lot from the investigations that they're doing around conceptual design. Mm. Uh, and as we push down this road, we would certainly share with them. That, uh, <laughs> if we learn things that can contribute to their eco ship, we will absolutely hand it over because uh, we all want to win in this race. Love it. Uh, Scott, the last question comes in from Julie. And she asks, thinking ahead, how can you connect uh, students in other countries with your students in an ongoing and impactful way, perhaps virtual ships of learning on land. Yeah. Yeah, there may be some ways to do that. And I'm really open to exploring new ideas. I would say that connecting students living in different countries is an area where there's a lot of people with that expertise and it's a pretty crowded field. I mean, even higher ed is doing that more now because study abroad was canceled for a year and a half. Um, And we don't necessarily have the expertise. So we would want to be careful trying to enter something that maybe others will do much better than us. With that said, one of the things that we have done well in the past is when we come to a country, the students that are voyaging with us get off and go visit a university and interact with the students at the university. And you know, for five hours and have this really rich dialogue and interaction. Um, So that's always an opportunity that we exercise during our voyages. And it's not maybe the same as the question Julie is asking, but it certainly is intercultural. It creates interpersonal connection uh, and, and has great value. And Scott, for anyone listening to this right now, where can they find more information about Semester at Sea or get in hold or in touch with uh, someone? Yeah, we make it really easy, Kevin. Semesteratsea.org. Semesteratsea.org, spelled out. And that is our handle for all of the social media channels, which I can't even name them all, Kevin. I don't know. YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, it's all the same. Semester at Sea. Um, and if they want to reach out to me, uh, I am really only active on one social media. <laughs> And that's LinkedIn. You can find me there. Uh, so please reach out. My, my email is also on our website, semesteratsea.org. Wonderful. Semesteratsea.org. Go on there. Reach out, especially if you got that solution uh, for the, uh, the net zero fuel. Uh, we'd love to hear about it also here at the Really Years Podcast. Uh, Scott, really appreciate your time coming on the Really Years Podcast today. And for everyone listening out there, uh, always keep it real. Thanks, Scott. Thank you, Kevin.